I don't get where I play as long as I go number one in the draft. From the Erie Otters, Connor McDavid. From the London Knights, Mitch Marner. From the Washington Hockey League's Brandon Wheat Kings, Nolan Patrick. This is Tracking the Draft with Craig Button. He checks an enormous amount of boxes. Nobody in this draft did more with less. I absolutely love him. It's not his skills that anybody's concerned about. It's that playing attitude. And quite frankly, it's really poor. Speeding towards the future of the NHL. From the U.S. Development Program, Jacob Truba. From Faryastad of the Swedish Elite League, Jonas Brodin. From the Boston U Terriers, Brady Kachuk. He could play in the NHL next year. He's one of those guys. Here's your host, Dean Millard. Hello there, and welcome to Tracking the Draft with Craig Button, Episode 4, Season 2. Lest we forget on this special November 11th day, as we say thank you uh, to everybody who has fought and continues to fight for our freedom. My name is Dean Millard, and I'm very thankful for my older brother, Master Warrant Officer Derek Millard. Uh, the uh, the crest up there behind me is from his time in Afghanistan, so thank you very much, Derek. Uh, we are very, very proud and thankful uh, to have you, uh, obviously the most accomplished person of our family. So tip of the hat uh, to Derek and everybody else in the Canadian forces uh, and around the world that have uh, fought for our freedom. Uh, okay, so we will have the uh, director of uh, scouting, uh, Craig Button, along very shortly um, as we get closer to the 2021 draft and, and even a 2020 21 season. I don't know what the heck is going on, but, um, you know, there are, there are there is hockey being played in Europe. Uh, there's a little bit of hockey being played in Canada. Uh, hockey is going to start up a little bit in some of the NCAA leagues. Um, but, man, this is going to be weird. So we're going to talk about five players in mini profiles, and I'll probably throw in a couple of general scouting questions for Craig as well in this bizarre season that it is for not just players but scouts as well. And, of course, Craig joins us on the UFFS Hotline Get in the game where you own the game, www.uffsports.com. It's the ultimate franchise fantasy sports, the most realistic fantasy platform that there is. Uh, does your fantasy league have a scouting platform where they're scouting and listing players and then auctioning them off three drafts ahead? My league does in the UFHL. My wife's scouting agency, in which Craig is the president of scouting, they they won uh, Shane Wright in a in an auction. So this is how sophisticated this platform is. Also, another question for you: Has a fantasy franchise in your league ever sold for two thousand dollars? Two thousand dollars, because that's what one of these franchises sold for. Actually, a couple of them have sold for two thousand dollars. So definitely, you want to get in the game where you own the game. These are digital assets on the blockchain, and then the whole gameplay is just out of sight. It is so awesome. So www.uffsports.com is where you can get in the game where you own the game. All right, let's get into it with the director of scouting from TSN right now. 
here he is. The director of scouting for TSN, former GM of the Calgary Flames, and a Stanley Cup champion with the Dallas Stars. Plus, he's a sharp-dressed man with a heart of gold and a passion to match it. Craig Button. Craig, another week as we dive into the uh, NHL 2021 draft and beyond. But unfortunately, another week where we lost two great Canadians. In the past, you and I have uh, paid tribute to uh, some of the fine people in the hockey world that we haven't uh, or that we have had to say goodbye to. And Alex Trebek is one of them. And, and not only just because he introed the Senators pick, but I saw a video the other day where he was narrating highlights from, I think, the 1967 Stanley Cup playoffs. And uh, man, what a mark he made on the world. Well, he certainly did. I mean, I mean, you think about Jeopardy. I mean, everybody that went on that and everybody that watched it and tried to answer those questions. But here's my tribute to Alex Trebek, and it includes the, the iconic uh, Howie Meeker. What? This player did not win the Rookie of the Year award the year that Howie Meeker was awarded the Calder Trophy. Oh, this Hall of Fame great, this Hall of Fame great mm, was a what? rookie in the same year that Howie Meeker won the Calder Memorial Trophy as Rookie of the Year. The doot 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 is going to come up, and Alex, you're going to have to uh, give me the answer because I can't figure it out. Who is Gordy Howe? Wow. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that <laughs> amazing? Uh, it, it, it really is. You, you have one crack to win the Rookie of the Year, number one, right? And that, that's your only crack. And uh, here's Gordy Howe, you know, one of the one of the greatest players that ever played, and he was in the same rookie year as Howie Meeker. But you know, when we saw what the Ottawa Senators did with Alex Trebek, uh, you know, in announcing their first pick, I mean, I mean, he 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 had an influence uh, on on hockey, as you pointed out, but but he had an influence on learning and you know knowledge and mm. you know one of the quotes i read about alex trebek was you know what like i'm going to continue to work because i want to continue to build my knowledge and try to know things and he goes i'm nowhere close to that and i think it's a great reminder for all of us is that life is, is about ongoing learning and continuous learning and we all can do it and you know as somebody said to me many many years ago it was a professor in university told me he says you know what when you have all the answers there's no need to live any longer because there will be no impact you can have on the world. And so, you know, I've always been reminded of that. We got to learn, we got to grow, we got to be curious about uh, knowledge. And I, I think Alex Trebek, in his role as the host of Jeopardy, uh, you know, was a great example of that. And certainly a sad day uh, when you think about it was just a, a very short time ago that he appeared to help the Ottawa Senators with their first pick. Mm -hmm. worked uh, right up until 10 days before he passed uh, recording episodes and his final episode will air on Christmas Day and, and hearing him narrate those 1960 hockey highlights was awesome and and you know when we talk about uh, you know the the life after the game well that's what I knew Howie Meeker as as you just talked about he was a terrific player but I knew him as stop it right there and the telestrator and being a part of that and it was just it was just uh, he was just such a part of the the game growing up for me 
Yeah, and for me too, Dean, because you know we're too young to remember Howie Meeker, the hockey player, but 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 he was part of our childhood as Howie Meeker, the broadcaster, and mm -hmm. his voice as we tune into the games was also the voice that we took as we played the games outdoors or with our friends on the streets or in our organized hockey. And you know, like I still recall so many different areas of the game where he would instruct and inform and try to point out and you know we think about today's world where young everybody has access to so many how-to videos in, in, in every regard not just hockey and look at this and you can watch them endlessly Howie Meeker came on once a week on Saturday nights and you know and, and it was brief but he, it was no less educational and what he presented with with the passion with the enthusiasm but, but, but it also struck me as I, as I watched some different clips after he passed away uh, this week was that, you know, he, he did it in a very calm and, and measured voice. You know, mm -hmm. we knew he had great passion and we knew he had great enthusiasm, but he did it in such a way that you could understand it. And, you know, he, 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 he was a trailblazer and an iconic broadcaster, you know, not and for what he did and how he presented the game and also how he presented multiple sides of the game. I mean, let's not forget that Howie Meeker was somebody that didn't underestimate the, the Soviets in 1972, that really recognized that, you know, developing skill and developing, you know, creativity and imagination were just as important uh, for being successful in the sport as other areas were. And I, he, he was espousing that long, long ago. And, you know, th th these are things now that we see celebrated daily uh, in the NHL when we tune into the games and the players are trying to emulate. And so that's, uh, you know, the legacy that uh, was part of what Howie Meeker contributed in the broadcast continues on to this day. Yeah, no doubt. All right, some prospect news now. And there was a big fuss made before the Karyala Cup in Finland because Russia was sending their U-20 team. Teams didn't want to play them. And then they won it all. I don't. I didn't understand what the fuss was in the first place. Well, the fuss could be one of two things. You, you, you're either fearful of that team coming and beating you, right? Yeah. Or the fuss is, oh, can you believe they're sending a junior team and you underestimate them? Well, underestimate that team at your peril. I mean, a lot of those players are playing in the KHL, some more than than others, but they're playing in the KHL and they've been they've been hugely successful on the international stage up to this point, at, albeit at the U20, U18 level. You know, Vladislav Tretiak, uh, you know, back to 1972 in the, the Soviet series with Canada, you know, he, he came out and said, listen, we've had a number of positive cases uh, in, in the league and we want to minimize that. So we think that this serves two purposes for us. We're not sending players uh, to, to Finland for the Karjala Cup, which is a national team uh, tournament, because we want to try to minimize that. And we also want to give our U-20 team the opportunity to play together and play against really good competition. So the Soviets, the Russians uh, had, had a plan for what they were doing. Igor Larionov, the head coach, felt that this was something that was really important uh, for their group. And like I said, so whether you underestimated them or you, you, you thought that, oh boy, these young kids could really show us how good they are and maybe how good we aren't, I think that that was demonstrated. They gave up three goals in the tournament. This is going to be 
the I really believe this World Junior Hockey Championship for for the for the quality of competition there is going to be significant. And Canada, the U.S., Russia, Sweden, like you know, and and you can never exclude Finland in that in that equation. This is going to be as competitive a World Junior Hockey Championship as I have seen in a long time, and. You know, I'm usually asked to kind of handicap it, like in terms of picking, you know, mm -hmm. the winners and ultimately who it is. Some years it becomes a little bit easier in terms of projecting who you think can be that that, that team that wins the gold medal. Uh, it's not going to be that easy this year. Uh, I, I really believe that uh, that this competition is going to be real, real strong. Yeah, no doubt. All right. Well, this is a day uh, where we all pay our respects uh, to those who have fought for our freedom. I have uh, paid respects with uh, my brother, Master Warrant Officer Derek Millard, uh, who uh, lives up in northern Canada now, but uh, did his uh, tour in Kandahar. Uh, and I know uh, the military is uh, certainly uh, close to you, and, and we all like to just say thank you on a day like today. I am going to... Uh put on the mask I have been wearing since November 1st. And awesome. I bought three of them. My wife is wearing one. So this is the mask. I'll show you what it is. Whenever I go out, and there it is, lest we forget. And, you know, uh, your brother who is who is still serving, and we think about all, all the men and women who have served over the years. And to that point, you know, continue to serve and have sacrificed in the service uh, of, of their country and the service of democracy and freedom, you know, we thank them and, and we need to be thankful of, of their service and their sacrifices every single day. November 11th is their day and we can never, ever forget. Well said. Okay. So moving on to the players that we're going to talk about and uh, man, uh, there are so many good defensemen. I just can't get over <laughs> the amount of defensemen for this draft. And, you know, a, a number of them could ch will challenge for that first overall pick, including Brant Clark, a defenseman uh, with Barry of the Ontario Hockey League. Uh, this guy seems to have scored from the blue line at every single level he has played at. Is that the most exciting thing about his game? Uh, uh, no, I, in my opinion, what I love about uh, Brandt is he's bold. Like he just, he plays the game with this with this idea that like you know it doesn't matter what can happen or, or or what is happening, I can take advantage of it and do it. You know you know what they used to call players like that, and still I hear people say this all the time. Oh, it's high risk. <laughs> oh, I don't think he is. I don't think he is. You know what I call him? I call him high reward. That's what he is. I want high reward players. I don't want safe players. I want players that are going to take the initiative. They're going to play the game on their toes, both phys physically and mentally. He, at the snap of a finger, he's probing. He's looking for opportunities to take advantage, to exploit, and then strike. And that's exactly what he does. So not only does he score, but he passes the puck. I mean, if he sees an opportunity to be the first guy to receive the pass on the breakout, he's going. Why wouldn't you ask a defenseman to do that? Why, why you're going to sit back and you know continue to try to defend because you can't get the puck out of your zone and you can't be the guy to receive the puck? He's got a brilliant mind. He's got a creative mind, and he's got a bold mind, and I love it. Yeah, he can pass the puck. Yeah, he can shoot it. Yeah, he can skate. And, you know, he's another one of those players too, Dean. You know, uh, like you wouldn't call him, like if you were giving marks for artistic merit, 
mm -hmm. uh, for a hockey player. Brett might not score high in the artistic merit department, but guess what? Just like figure skating in the Olympics, artistic merit don't count for nothing anymore. And I want the players, there's a lot of players that can look pretty and skate pretty, and they don't do anywhere near as much as Brant Clark does. I want the Brant Clarks of the world on my team that are bold and want to make a difference in the game. So there's a lot of defensemen this year. Is this a guy in that class that will challenge for the top spot, number one spot? Yeah, well, I think there's a number of players that are in, and he belongs in that group of players. There's okay. no question that he, that he belongs in that group for me because of what he does. And, and, and I guarantee you this, Dean, and if I'm wrong, you call me out on this. In the future. You're going to hear a lot about, oh, they're not so sure how good he is defensively. They're not so sure about his risk and everything. Okay, good. I just go back to the Al Arbor line about Mike Bossy, who went 15th overall in 1977. Given a choice between a 20-goal scorer that you know was big and could check and play defense but couldn't score, or the goal scorer that couldn't play defense, Al Arbor was very clear. Give me the guy that can score. I can teach him how to check. Give me Brad Clark. I'm not worried about his defense. All right. So the next defenseman that we're going to talk about is Stanislav uh, Svozl, a defenseman uh, with the HC Kometo Berno in the Czech League. And, and that's kind of interesting. Svazil. Svazil. Oh, 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 Stanislav okay. Svazil. Svazil. There we go. This yeah. guy doesn't have eye-popping offensive stats as some of the others do, but from what I have read... He is just excellent at defending in his own end. It's just almost uh, uh, just like a, with, with a precision about it from what I've heard. Is that the same thing you see? Yeah, I see precision as, yeah, I love that word. That's a great word. And, you know, sometimes, Dean, we start to look like for numbers to try to affirm, uh, you know, uh, potential. Right. All I know is this when I watch Stanislav. He, he controls the game. He, 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 he's, he, his IQ is outstanding. He reads the game well. He reacts to the situations well. He makes the plays under pressure very well. And so he might not have those eye-popping offensive numbers. And, and he might be a lot like Jake Sanderson. Like, mm. you know, oh, yeah, no, like he, he's that good. I think that Stanislav is that good. I think that he's a player that when you look at his ability to, to make all those plays, defensively, transition, under pressure, make the right pass to the right areas at the right times to the right players. That's what Stanislav does. You're playing up a level. Now, I, like Stanislav played on the Czech team at mm -hmm. the uh, at the Cariela Cup. He's 17 years old. And the Czech brought, I think they brought seven or eight players under 20 that, uh, you know, to try to help them with their world junior team. Stanislav is going to be on that world junior team. But he just went and played as a 17-year-old against national teams. And he's playing pro, and he is a really good player. And he's efficient, and he's calm. And he just makes things look easy because he's, he's that player that's, that's ahead of others mm -hmm. and with respect to reading the play. He knows where to be on the ice. So you know what? You're going to try to make that play. He's already there. He's already there, so you can't make the play. And, and even if you even if you don't make that, he prevents you from making plays. That's just as important in defensive play as well. I use cornerbacks as an example. Top cornerbacks, how often do you hear this, Dean? 
while they didn't throw uh, to, uh, to, to his area of the field very often. You know, he was only targeted one time, right? That's a good thing. You know why yeah. he was only targeted one time? Because <laughs> you don't good. want to go anywhere near him. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, it's Bill it's... Belichick. Bill Belichick said this years ago about great cornerbacks. He said great cornerbacks that can cover one-on-one -on -one in any situation allow you to cut the field in half because teams mm -hmm. don't want to go at, at that side of the field. So now when you only have to, when you can defend less of the field because you have such a strong quarterback, a cornerback, it makes, it makes the, the, the job easier for all the other players on the defensive side of the ball. It's the same thing with really good defensemen. Yeah, you can cut off one half of the ice. Now, this is maybe a, a kind of a, a question for for those in the in the scouting world out there as well. But when you're watching a guy that you know doesn't have the eye popping flashiness, what are the subtle things that you're looking for? And and maybe what are the subtle things that that Stanislav has in his games that in his game that maybe that's what you're looking for when you're you know the, a player doesn't jump right off the page. And and maybe this is for some of the scout people that are new to scouting that maybe don't have that. You know, you know, that fine-tuned touch or that fine-tuned eye that you might have after years of it. So what are some subtle things that you can watch in a player's game like Stanislav? Well, th 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 there would be three things that I would look at if when you're watching defensemen. And, and uh, Dennis Patterson, who's been a long-time scout in the NHL and I worked with for a long time, he was our uh, chief scout with the Minnesota North Stars. And he, always, he played defense. He, he was an American Hockey League Defenseman of the Year. I think he played about 160 NHL games. But he always said, beware of defensemen where the play is always behind them. Hmm. He said that is a real problem. He goes, because defensemen should not have the play behind them. And, you know, I, I'm going to go back to my football example, uh, Dean. You know, do, do you want a cornerback where the wide receivers are always behind them? Right, yeah. No, right? not you, at you're, all. Yeah. You're, you're, you're in trouble, right? Yeah. And that was Dennis's point. So that was like, like I learned a lot about defensemen from Dennis. And, and, and you know, the thing, the other, and the other person I learned a lot about defensemen from was from Brad McCrimmon, who you know very well, our very mm -hmm. late dear friend, Brad. But the other thing, so, so the second thing I would say about defensemen is that how, how are they able to use their skating? We always think about forward skating. We always think about, oh, how do they jump into the attack now? We hear that more and more. We talk about modern-day defensemen. Well, I don't know what a modern-day defenseman. Brian Leach, what, 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 you're telling me he wasn't a great defenseman. Paul right. Coffey, Phil Housley. Like, I go on and on and on. Doug Harvey. Anyway, you know, you got to be able to skate, like, quickly. you got to be able to make quick movements, quick to turn, quick to, make, to get to a putt, quick to close off a, a defender. Quick to beat pressure. Somebody's on you as you go back for a puck. You have to be able to get to that puck and then not only get to that puck quickly so that you're not under duress, but then to also beat that pressure. And and and, and those are those are those are such critical things that clearly translate to the NHL. Clearly translate to success in the NHL. If you can't do those things in college hockey or junior hockey, you know, regardless of where you play. You, you're not going to be able to do it at the NHL level. I can guarantee you that. So that, that ability to maneuver, mobility, lateral agility, side to side, and those quick movements, you can develop quickness. I'm not telling you, but if you're moving slowly and you can't make those plays because you don't think quick enough, 
then, then you're going to be uh, in real trouble for advancing. The third thing is, is that, you know, are you able to, to make those plays with the puck? That get the puck moving from a defensive position into a more offensive position. And, and sometimes that's a four-foot pass. Sometimes it's an eight-foot pass. But if you're continuously not able to make those plays from your own defensive zone, you can forget about being able to play defensive in the National Hockey League and being mm -hmm. an effective defenseman. You, you might be able to rely on some area of your game, and you might be able to hang, but, but you're not going to ultimately be able to be a real good uh you know, significant minutes type defenseman. So those are the three areas that, that, that I think are essential. Now, obviously, you know, uh, a Kale McCarr, a Quinn Hughes, they, you go back and watch what they do. They can do all the things I just talked about defensively. You mm -hmm. know, Miro Haskinen, what, what, what makes them exceptional is how good they are offensively, right? And, and so that becomes a separator. But Mark Edward Vlasic, who's not great offensively, what I described, the reason he's been a Team Canada member, an Olympic gold medalist, and a really mm -hmm. strong defenseman is because of all those other things he did. If he did all those offensive things, we'd be talking about him as a Norris Trophy guy. There you go. Well, Craig joins us on the UFFS hotline. Scouting is a huge part of the platform and the lifeblood of the franchises in the UFHL. Any free agents go through a scout, so get in the game where you own the game and start putting your scouting talent to good use. You can even make uh, some good side coin as well. And and I wanted to ask you, Craig, with some NCAA leagues uh, starting to, uh, I guess, plan out their seasons and, and moving forward, and what's how do you plan out your scouting season? I, I imagine this has been a difficult one to plan for yourself. No, no question about it. Because usually you're planning, you have you, you have schedules, and you just go, okay, I'm going to be here. I need to go there, and you try to you try <laughs> to work the, the the schedule matrix, right? Well, you don't have that. I mean, obviously, there's going to be a lot more video component watching on TV where games are televised uh, in scouting this year. You know, uh, again, I've talked about uh, you know one of the big things that have that has helped me over the years is being able to start watching these players at 15 in some cases, but certainly at 16 and the, and, and the 17 into their draft year. That, that is tremendously helpful with respect to being able to recognize, okay, this player has, has developed, he's improving, he's, he's continuing to take on greater challenges. You know what, the, U7, the, the, the Hockey Canada, the Program of Excellence, U17, I, I didn't have that opportunity this summer. Mm -hmm. I haven't had the I haven't had the benefit of the of the U seventeen tournament, uh, which is a fantastic tournament uh, with respect to watching you know sixteen year old players you know that are coming in. So I, I don't have that benefit from all over the world, right? Then you know you don't also you also are lacking the benefit of watching those players over sections of time. Okay. This player, like for an example, if I see a player in midget and you see him in March and April, then he comes into the U-17 camp. Then you can kind of watch him into his leagues. You can watch him into the U-17. You can watch what he does in, in the new year. You, you don't have that. I don't have that benefit this year. Mm -hmm. Nobody does. And and so you, you're trying to cobble together different uh, aspects of, of, of those periods of time for evaluation. You're trying to say, okay, where is this player today? And you're trying to find, okay, where can I get video? You're trying to talk to, you're not trying to talk, you're talking to 
to, to leagues, teams around the world to try to get real meaningful video to start to watch and get and, and, and start to form in your own head. Okay, I can see where this player is at, but this is what everybody's going to be dealing with, Dean, and it, and it really is a challenge because uh, for me, my confidence grows when I can when I can really feel that I've watched a player progress over time, and you and you watch him meet the different challenges. Mm. I, I haven't had that benefit e even when I go U seventeen, and I go back. So we're going to talk. We just talked about Brant Clark. Now I saw Brant Clark play at the Canada Games. I saw Brant Clark play uh, in Midget. Uh, his team won the OHL Cup. So he played with Shane Wright. And but you know when, when I start to think about you know, players coming in to the U-17 program. But even if I go back to last year, U-17, I, I didn't get to see Carson Lambos and and Brant Clark and Brennan Othman play down the stretch. I didn't get them to see them, how, like, you know, how they play under, you know, in, in, in critical situations. Then, you know, Hockey Canada has a camp where they bring the 44 players, best 17-year-olds going into their draft year competing to play on the Helenka Gretzky team, right? Th that is an unbelievable competition for evaluation. So how much have they progressed to there? And, you know, when you start to be able to build on that and you watch them at the Helenka Gretzky against the other world, that's all gone. I don't have it. Nobody has it. So you're trying to cobble together all those other, other, uh, other significant uh, opportunities to, to evaluate and observe. Mm -hmm. Well, let's talk about Carson Lambos then, a defenseman uh, who grew up in Winnipeg, plays for the Winnipeg Ice, although he's uh, been loaned to a uh, Finnish a junior league right now. But uh, this guy led the ice into scoring from a defenseman last year as a rookie. And from what I read, played in a lot of number one defenseman situations. I mean, you just you, the, the potential when you look a couple of years down the road, if he's doing this already at 16, you know, what's it going to be like at 19 if he's still in the league or at, you know, 23, 24 in the NHL? Man, the, the potential when you hear that as a 16-year-old, there's not many guys that can do that in the Western Hockey League. No, because, because there's, there's a couple of elements to that too, Dean. There's, there's not just having the skills to do it. You also have, and the mental acumen to do it, you also have to have the stamina. Look, when, when you're a 16-year-old player coming into the Western Hockey League out of midget hockey, it's really demanding. You, you know, you are now playing against players three and four years older. You've never had to do that. They're, they're physically stronger. You know, the grind of the schedule, you know, really becomes uh, a part of the challenge to not only try to find your way into a lineup and, and, and hold your own, but now we're talking about a player that, you know, finds a way to have more ice time and to have more responsibility and to have more uh, and showing more capability, which builds his confidence. So, you know, we can talk about the skills and everything, but you also have to have the stamina. And, 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 and that comes from being able to understand where you're at. And, and Carson clearly has that. I mean, he can skate, he can handle the puck, he can think the game. But, you know, his, his ability to earn the trust of his head coach and, and to be put out in those situations and continuously deliver and deliver and deliver you know, those are big parts of Carson's game. I mean, he's overplaying in Yavaskala in the, in the J20 league, in the U20 league in Finland. And I think it's, I think it's terrific for him because, you know, he, he, he gets to continue to play in competition. He's, he's playing in a, in, in a league with players uh, that, 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 you know, are 
resemble the Western Hockey League competition. He's playing against older players. He's playing against drafted players. So that really helps him. And, you know, as he moves forward, there's no reason to believe that he doesn't have all the qualities, as you point out, to be a really good defenseman when he's 23-24. At the U-17 tournament last year, uh, you know, he, he starts out the tournament. And, and I mean, I'm aware of him. He's, a, he's You know that he's a draft pick. You watch him at the U-17 camp. But then you start watching him at the U-17 tournament. And you keep watching. And you keep going, who made the, oh, that's Carson. Made the, oh, that's Carson. Made the, oh, who made the, oh, that's Carson. And mm-hmm. all those plays. Four foot pass to get you out of trouble in the defensive zone. You know, releasing to jump into the attack for transition, making those plays in the offensive zone. I mean, we, he was voted one of the best defensemen in the tournament last year, and rightfully so. What is this uh, stint in the Finnish league? And you talked about that being really good for him, but how, what kind of an impact can this have on his development in this league, playing against this kind of a different type of, uh, of skill set and different type of player maybe? Well, what I would say is, Dean, is, 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 is that it gives him a chance to round out his game. It gives him a chance to, to see a different style of coaching and a different style of play. That when, when you're as smart a player as Carson is, I think what it does is it just, it just allows you to expand your game. Now, isn't that scary? We're talking about a really good player that at 17 years of age is going to have the opportunity to expand his game, mm. not just continue to develop it. I think that's really significant uh, with respect to being able to go and do that and, and to be exposed to a different style of play and, and playing against players that really, you know, he might have played, he, he will have played against some of them in international competition. But, you know, on, 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 he's going to be playing against players that were drafted and he's going to get an understand. Mm-hmm. Okay, I, I understand where that player is. He can watch different defensemen. And I, 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 think it's, I think it's tremendous that he is having that opportunity to go over there. I, I really, you know, we've seen a lot, you know, where, you know, we've talked about Dylan Gunther and we've talked, and, and like I said, I, I, I'm not going to be critical here. But given a choice of Carson Lambos playing in, in the Manitoba Junior Hockey League or playing in the Finnish J20 League, mm-hmm. he's way better off in Finland. And I think any player that's played in the CHL would benefit from that. Yeah, I, I think uh, I would wholeheartedly agree with you on that as well. All right, Chaz Lucius, a forward, a centerman <laughs> with the U.S. National Development Team in the USHL. Um, from what I've read... Really nice hands, but a nicer brain. Hockey IQ for this guy, is, I've heard, is really, really great. And I know how much that ranks for you. I know how high um, you, know, you kind of on the pecking order hockey IQ is for you. So tell me a little bit about Chaz. Well, you, you touched on the first part of it, it hands. <laughs> like, his hands are magical. Like, he, 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 he's a player that not only understands, you know, uh, the game and understands and reads the game with respect to how we can take advantage of where those opportunities may be ensuing. But now he's got those magic hands that can finish. And he, he, he doesn't need many opportunities to finish on them. And, and probably like, like, like a lot of the great goal scorers, when you look at Mike Bossy, who has one of the highest shooting percentages ever, well, the reason he does is because the puck went in the net. He didn't have to have multiple chances to put the right. puck in the net. And right, and, and and Chaz has some of those same qualities. You know, he gets the puck, and you know, when, when you're in tight areas, Dean, and you know, it's not just about being able to handle the puck in tight areas. It, I call it maneuvering the puck, maneuvering the puck into positions where you now can can 
take advantage and exploit. So, you know, if the play gets shut down on your forehand in a tight area, how quickly can you get it to your backhand and at the same time beat the goaltender? That's the qualities that Chaz has with respect to goal scoring. It's it's that maneuverability. It's it's understanding, okay, you know what? Like I'm getting pushed off of here, but that's okay because I have a strength over here to be able to take advantage. And at the same time, when you talk about the mind, you know, where he can really exploit goaltenders is he can set them up to, to think about defending one part of the net mm-hmm. and then shift it where he opens them up and boom, he can take advantage of it. Now, you know, you, you can have the quickest release on the planet, but when you have a, when you have a mind that can release in, with respect to being able to read new information and then take advantage of it, you score a lot. That's what Chaz is able to do. So I've heard, also read he's a pretty good playmaker as well. But is goal scoring yep. his bread and butter? Uh, yeah, I wouldn't just. I'd be very careful mm-hmm. uh, if I were playing against Chaz to say, "Oh, just take away the shot." Okay. Because he, he can make plays and he can make really good plays. And again, we talked we talked a little bit about expanding your game. I, when you when when you watch players and you you watch how they work on different things and how they want to not just be uh, one-dimensional or two-dimensional. I think that that's really important. You know, Cole Perfetti, who went 10th overall to the Winnipeg Jets, you know, you know, at the Halenka Gretzky tournament in the summer of 2019, he scored all those goals, and it was easy to start calling him goal Perfetti. <laughs> and then at the beginning of the year, he's getting way more assists than he is goals. And people, well, maybe he's not a, maybe he's not a goal scorer. Or maybe, Dean, what he is is just a really well-rounded player. And when goal scoring is required, he'll do it. And right. when playmaking is required, he'll do it. And that's that's what I think makes players really good when I talk about expanding the game. And I think Chaz has those qualities. Yeah, there are some players that are really one-dimensional, but there's a lot yeah. of players that are multi-dimensional as well, and we, we shouldn't try to pigeonhole them all uh, in that right. regard. All right, the final player we're going to talk about is Benjamin Gaudreau, a goalie with Sarnia in the OHL, and he backstopped a really bad Sarnia team, um, and that's a good way to get noticed. I watched that firsthand in Brandon with a really bad weekend <laughs> team, and Trevor Kidd went really high uh, to the Calgary Flames, so it is a good way uh, to get noticed. What did you see from uh, Benjamin as this long season with the sting went on? It could have been really easy for him to get bogged down or disappointed uh, because the the high the statistics weren't there. What did you see from his play? Well, when you watch, so, so I, I first saw Benjamin play in the in the OHL Cup, and you know he was a midget player that that, that, that you that people were talking about. Always oh, going to be a high pick in the OHL draft as a goaltender, and and as you watch him, you could see why. You could very clearly see why because you know goaltending and, and Dean, you and I have talked about this. A number of times. I think goaltending is like pitching. You have to learn how to goaltend. You have to learn how to pitch. But when I watch Benjamin, and and, and then again, it, it leads from the OHL Cup into the U-17 summer camp, into the U-17 tournament, then you watch him in games. And, and, and what you're trying to look for is the, the skills and the attributes necessary uh, to, to have success. And then the next layer of that is of those skills and attributes, what can we develop further? That's how you become 
a goaltender. That's how you learn about goaltending. And, and again, like pitching, you become a pitcher, you become a goaltender. And I, and I think that some of the challenges that Benjamin had as a young goaltender, again, you're facing players three and four years older than you that shoot the puck a little bit quicker. Mm-hmm. We saw it at the World Junior Tournament with Yaroslav Askarov. You know, and, and like all of a sudden, the puck is, the, the, the shots are a little bit quicker. The players get the puck off their stick a little bit faster. Uh, there's a little bit more velocity to, to their shots. And so you got to adjust to that. And, and, and you know, as, as you know, as a goaltender, you got to be steady in your feet. And as the game is going fast and maybe a little bit faster than you're accustomed to at that point in time, you know, it's hard to keep up to the play and you can become vulnerable. I think that that happens to all young goaltenders. I think for Benjamin, that was something that was, that was prevalent early on. But what I saw was adjustment. What I saw was the ability to, to, to correct that and continue to work on. And that's where goaltending uh, uh, coaches and development coaches in that area are really instrumental to not just say, okay, here's what he needs, but here's how we're going to work with you. And here's how we're going to get you settled down so that you can work on it. I remember talking to Stefan Waite, the goaltending coach for the Montreal Canadiens a couple of years ago. And he said, he's working with Carey Price. He's working with Carey Price. He worked with the Chicago Blackhawks when they were winning Stanley Cups with Corey Crawford. And he's telling me, he goes, these top-end goaltenders still need adjustments. Mm -hmm. So if they need adjustments, (laughs) what does that say about these young 16-year-old goaltenders, right? Yes, they need more adjustments, and that's where you got to put in the work. But I think Benjamin uh, has not only the attributes and the skills, but I also think that he has – he's shown that he – can continue to develop and understand how to use those skills and attributes uh, to greater advantage. And, uh, you know, a player that, you know, I think the goaltending position this year in the in the upcoming draft is pretty interesting with Jesper Wallstad and Tristan mm-hmm. Lennox, who's going to Canada's World Junior Camp. Sebastian Kalsa, who you're very familiar with, plays yeah. with the Edmonton Oil Kings, with Benjamin Goudreau, really good goaltenders that I think, uh, you know, you're going to see kind of a clamoring at some point in time where we talk about, you know, goaltenders start to go. I think those are the names you're going to start to hear about. Well, Wallstad, you mentioned him. He's the only guy who got an A rating from NHL Central Scouting. Uh, So he's the only guy right now considered to be a first-rounder. Is Gaudreau a guy that you think could, I don't know, if challenge Wallstad for the top goaltender, but maybe sneak into that first-rounder? Do you think he's more of a second, third-round guy as this draft? You know, and it's so far away, we don't know. But, you know, what's your thought process? Does he have the abilities to make a run at the first round, do you think? Uh, so I'll answer that question. Yeah, I would say yes. I would say that. I, I don't think he's in Wallstat's class. Uh, you know, just like his last year, I didn't think there was anybody in Askarov's class. So, right. you know, it's no different than saying, hey, listen, I, I, I don't think there was anybody in Quentin Byfield's class. You, you know, yep. Well, if you're trying to compare a different player. And as good, if I just use an example, as much as I like Connor Zary, I don't think he's in Quentin Byfield's class. Like he, go. he's a good NHL player. But and, and I do. I like Benjamin Goudreau's potential. I like Tristan Lennox's potential. But Sebastian Kosa, I like, you know, the pen. But I think Wallstat stands alone. Now, for those young goaltenders, right, the, the, the other ones we mentioned not named Wallstat, do they have an opportunity to push their way in, into the first round? Based on their attributes and their skills and what I've seen, yeah, I think they do. 
Mm. This is one of those situations, though, where it might make it tougher because there's not as much viewing this year on those players. So it might make somebody hesitant with less viewings to put one of those guys into that in that first round. This is where it might make some decisions. Real, w- would you take less risks than you maybe would before? And I don't even know if risk is the right word, but what do you what do you think? That's a great question, and I and I think it's one that uh, certainly uh, will be prevalent, right? Mm-hmm. Like you know, okay, we don't have as many viewings. What's our confidence level in, in selecting that player at that point in the draft? And you know, for teams that might have that have multiple picks, right? It might become a little bit easier. You, right. you say, hey, I'm taking them, but but Dean, what you just described, I, I absolutely think that that's going to be part of the mindset for NHL teams, not over, not only over the course of the year, but ultimately when they do get to the point of saying that we're going to we get to the draft you know one of the things that I'll that I'll mention here and we can talk about it in future episodes but for me you know we, we saw the hockey hall of fame say that the 2020 class which is going to go into the hall of fame and have their induction day night weekend in 2021 there will not be uh, an induction class of 2021 per se, that mm-hmm. the 2020 class will stand alone there. So w- what does that mean? Does that mean that they're going to open up the 2022 class and double it up so they don't fall behind? I don't know what it means. But one of the things that I think that that I'm prepared to be open-minded on, and I say me, is that if we do see that you know there's not enough opportunity for the young players to play, do we put two draft classes into one? Do we take the 2021 draft class, put it into the 2022 draft class with the 2022 to give all teams uh, an opportunity to have uh, you know more viewings, mm. to have those players to have more opportunity to show what they're capable of, and maybe even perhaps say, hey, listen, we're going to have 12 rounds uh of the 2022 draft because it's going to incorporate two draft classes Uh, like for me i'm prepared to open up my mind and open up uh, some discussion on looking at that potential possibility so is that something that kind of is your uh idea or is that something that's actually being floated out right now and and discussed because that's really really interesting yeah, well, that's my idea, Dean. It just kind of—I'm just kind of showing off my brilliance in terms of being. Great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love it. I love it. Hey, man, yeah. it's, we we all have to adapt. This is, if anything, uh, 2020 has taught us that we need to be adaptable, not just in scouting, in life, right, Craig? Oh, it's so true, Dean. And I'll, you know, all kidding aside, I hope you know I'm kidding and everything, yeah. right? But no, it's something that I think you have to consider. It's yeah. something you have to look at. And, and and I'm not saying that you have to enact it. And I'm I'm not. But let's keep our minds open to mm-hmm. considering it. And, and and let's talk about the the potential benefits. Let's also talk about what uh, you know m- maybe uh, some of the drawbacks to it. But by by presenting ideas and being open-minded to them, we might end up with even a better idea, but it's got to start. It's You know, it's got to start somewhere, right? Yeah. It's, and, and so if we do that and then we see where it goes, but, but again, I, I'm using the hockey hall of fame as an example. Obviously it's very different, sure. but they just said, no, the 2020 class will stand alone for induction in their plan is, is November of 2021. And there will not be a 2021 class. Yeah, well, I, we I like to, that. 
we have to be open-minded and we have to be, uh, this is this is unprecedented times. So uh, I think I've taken up too much of your time today, Craig. Thank you so much for joining me. Uh, it, it was a great uh, episode to reflect on the past and look ahead uh, to the future as uh, a lot of us are doing a lot of that right now when we pay our respects to those who have fought for our freedom. Thanks as always, Craig. Yeah, thank you, Dean. This is a serious message. Craig Button joins us on the Ultimate Franchise Fantasy Sports Hotline. Become a scout and make money while providing prospects to the Ultimate Franchise Hockey League. What'd you talk about, mister? Pay that man his money. I'm your huckleberry. Check out the details at www.uffsports.com. It's serious. I like it a lot. I said we gotta win it. UFFS, you own the game. Well, we certainly appreciate Craig's time, and uh, certainly we appreciate uh, the ultimate franchise fantasy sports platform being involved in this program as well. I love the league, uh, and I think you will too. Uh, There are some franchises that are for sale. There's also an opportunity to get in as a scout if you think you would make a good scout, and that's where Craig is going to help you out. We'll be doing Craig's Council um, at some point during the Season 2. Uh, we'll probably do it at the midway point, whenever that is. Who knows uh, when the end point is. And then we'll do it to wrap up the season as well, where we do some scouting uh, tips, some scouting stories, and some general stories from Craig as well. We were actually talking about some of them today, so I'm looking forward to bringing you some of those in the next little while. If you do have a specific question that you would like to ask Craig, just send us an email at trackinthedraft at gmail.com. That is uh, trackinthedraft at gmail.com, and we will add it to the list of topics uh, if you have for, that you may have for Craig. And if you would also like to be involved in the show, let us know. Uh, we do have some advertising opportunities. You can join UFFS uh, on the program as one of our partners. Just hit me up uh, on an email at trackinthedraft at gmail.com. So that is going to wrap things up. Of course, uh, thank you very much to Craig for his time and his knowledge. Thank you to to you, the listener and the viewer. Uh, By the way, if you're just listening to this and if you'd like to watch what we're doing, Check out our YouTube channel, or we'll have it streaming on our uh, social media uh, channels as well. Uh, the YouTube channel is Podcast Alley, and that's where you can check out a whole bunch of other shows that I have going on when it comes to the podcast world. www.podcastalley.ca, and that's where you can also find past episodes of Tracking the Draft, where the stars of tomorrow are discovered. Big thanks to Craig Button. And to everybody out in the Canadian military, thank you so much for your service, particularly on this day. Have a good week.